You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. What is going on, my brothers and sisters? This is the Pimp Cron, and this is episode two of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. We have a lot of things to cover tonight, and I hope you enjoy it. Number one, we are discussing whether we want or want that not on some new Gene Stealer cult models for the Aberrants. We also answer some fan mail with the podcast debut of Cron Jr. And we also discuss jungle rules for um, play, adding jungles to your board and playing in a jungle-themed board. Finally, we discuss how to add lore to your armies and introduce new flavor to make your games more interesting with your armies. That includes influence in the paint schemes and everything, and why they fight in the battlefield. Loremaster Alex joins me for that, and Just James is the one joining me for the Aberrant, want that or want that not. I do have to make one announcement. Um, Occasionally, our audio is weird, and of course, we're still figuring all of this out with the podcast, but the reason for that is occasionally we use different microphones, or we may record in different areas, and like with Loremaster Alex, we're actually recording in the back of our friendly local gaming store that night, so that is why it might sound a little weird. You may hear some people laughing in the background and whatnot, and I hope that's not too off-putting for you. We will figure this out, and we will get better with every episode. So thank you for listening. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Well, I guess you all know what time it is, don't you? It's time to open up that Tesseract mailbox. And today, I am joined by my oldest offspring, Cron Jr. Say hello to the fine folks, Cron Jr. Hi. All right, so why don't you open up that Tesseract mailbox and read the letter that we have been written today. Okay, so, um, greetings, Pimpcron. I was wondering, how on earth do you keep up with your writing schedule? Every week seems like a lot, and Rob Bear is just awful. From <laughs> the site. <laughs> What's that? Rob Bear is just awful. Apparently. And who is that from? I missed that. Uh, that's from The Scythe. Okay, well, The Scythe, um, thank you for writing in. And, um, I will go with the first part, uh, of your question. How do I keep up my, with my writing schedule? And every week seems like a lot. Well, as you know, I or you may not know, I don't know. I've been pod uh podcasting, blogging for about four years, three years of it with Bell of Lost Souls, and I blog every week about the same old topic every week, which is Warhammer 40k. So I first got into this, I was expecting to I had no idea how long I could actually keep this up. And I thought maybe I would give myself about two months of writing articles before I ran out of ideas. And I guess I underestimated myself, and I am still here doing this. Um, but specifically, you ask, how do I keep up with my writing schedule? Well, it's very hard to come up with ideas for topics of articles. So, all right, well, you know, I'd be the first one to say that I would love to just, you know, 
uh, go every Thursday night before my article posts and beseech the dark gods on the top of a moonlit hill locally and uh, burn some candles and sacrifice a small mammal for some ideas for articles. I would love to say that I do that. I've tried it several times. Didn't really work out for me. I accidentally summoned a ghost and um, I accidentally possessed my dog. But I did not get any topic ideas. Basically, there's no real magic behind this. You basically say that, you know, you observe the world around you, you observe what people say and do, and you just give an opinion on that. Like, that's the reason why I often talk about, uh, you know, win at all cost players or fluff players and the differences, because that, number one, really interests me, that whole psychological difference. But number two, um, I really don't like competitive players. I just don't. I think they take all the fun out of the game. And I really just think, dude, you are a grown man. You don't need to take this game so seriously. But on the other hand, you know, I do see that they there is some merit to that. Sometimes you want to play a tough game of good strategy and bring your best weapons, you know, that sort of thing. So I just love exploring those type of ideas. And that's where I draw all of my inspiration from. You know, sometimes I'll see a post on Facebook that I really like. Or sometimes a comment on in the comment section of my articles, you know, will strike my fancy and I'll think, ah, oh, I can talk about that. But generally, um, it's just, just things I observe and I've always got an opinion on everything, basically. So, and uh, that is pretty much all I can tell you. Sorry if you thought it was magical. Want that or want that not? In today's edition of Want That or Want That Not, I am joined by my longtime friend, Just James. Hey, hey guys. And we will be discovering uh, what it is we do or do not like about the new leaked Gene Steeler Cult Aberrant model. And my first thing is, is that I absolutely love Gene Steeler Cult. It's one of my very favorite armies. And Aberrants hold a special place in my heart. So I, my review of this is going to be absolutely skewed. Um, let's start off with you, Just James. Uh, I don't have Gene Slayer Cults yet, but as I'm looking at it, it's not really appealing to me. It's just like another model, but... That's because it is another model. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, but I do like that it has, you know, he's got like some kind of sign that looks like it has a Nurgle on it or something. It has a Nurgle. Yeah, Nurgle. It kind of looks like he's turning more Gene Stealer than the other ones, I guess. Yeah, there's a there's a couple different interesting tidbits about this. Number one, it seems to have a tail. Yeah. Which none of, none of the aberrants had a tail, and that's exciting to me. Um, also, if you look on his back, he's got like that shell carapace type. Oh yeah. And all the other ones had like um bodybuilder backs, and that was they had like knobbies down their spine. But oh really? Yeah, that was it. And um, also, the um, the double head is something that's completely new. Yeah, that's pretty weird. It's pretty neat. And even their tongues are, like, stuck together. Which... I mean, if I guess if they can grow more arms, they can grow more heads. I suppose so. I wonder if he's double-donged. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I also, for some reason, it really tickles me that he's got toeless hobo shoes. <laughs> I really like that. One of them is toe. The other one's... Uh actual gene stealer foot oh i do see that now yeah i like the little rebar sticking out of the concrete that's a little t nice touch to that it is and also what's interesting about that is right now we just have the power picks or the hammers i forget what they're called the mining hammer or whatever it is 
and those are the only two weapon options. So, uh, street sign. Street sign. It's gonna be a melee weapon. <laughs> so I like the whole hobo theme they have between the shoe and the sign. Um, yeah, uh, I definitely want to see a model with a Kindle. Yes, a Kindle, a Bindle, a Bindle, Bindle. <laughs> <laughs> also, Kindle's what he's reading on. Yes. Um, uh, I just really like the whole thing. I think I'm gonna spray paint mine with silver or gold around its mouth, like it's been helping paint behind a dumpster. <laughs> and uh, so, I personally, absolutely. Uh, I say I want that. That's my vote. What about you? I would say... I would say want that, too. When you start your army. When I start the army. Not if. Not if, but when. Yeah, but when. And, um, you know, ever since they came out with Aberrants, I've absolutely loved Aberrants. And they uh, do not sell a kit for Aberrants yet. So I've always been hoping that when they finally do sell an actual kit, that they will have a dual option for like two different types of aberrants, kind of like the uh, uh, neophytes uh-huh. or the not the neophytes, the acolytes or the metamorphs uh-huh. are in one box, and you've got options for both of them. Uh, I've really been hoping that uh, the aberrants would have something like that. Maybe it'd be a double donged hobo. <laughs> <laughs> now here's an idea. What's going on, my brothers and sisters? It is the Pimp Cron here, and I am joined today by the first of my many offspring, Cron Jr. How are you doing today, Cron Jr.? Fine. I'm doing fine. I have uh, had a great day today. Good. All right. Well, um, we are here to talk about the, well, here's an idea segment. And today, Cron Jr. had something he wanted to uh, specifically talk about as far as the theme for a world or a battlefield that you're playing on in 40K. What was the theme that you wanted to cover today? Oh, I thought it would be pretty neat to, like, play on a jungle world. Okay, so if a jungle world is our topic for the day, um, why don't you throw out ideas for elements that you would like in it, and I will make up sample rules for it to be implemented, okay? Okay. All right, so what would be one th- one of the first things that come to mind when you think of playing or fighting in a jungle world? Uh, carnivorous plants, like a Venus flytrap or something, giant Venus flytrap. Okay. Um, now, I understand everybody may not have the correct terrain to make a proper jungle wor- jungle world, uh, one tip I would give you is that Hobby Lobby has, uh, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's basically Ivy Garland, and during certain times, you can look online probably when they have their different discounts for for departments, but I have been able to buy uh, several feet of small Ivy Garland for very cheap, like a, a dollar for five feet or something like that. And if you bunch that up and you wind that around your buildings and everything, you can get this really cool effect for it as far as like it's thick foliage and jungle. So what I would say for that um, is that any, so you wanted um, uh, yes, carnivorous. I, yeah, carnivorous plants. Okay, carnivorous plants. So to simply enact that and to make that interesting to play around, what I would do is any non-vehicle non-flyer models or units that come within three inches of a 
foliage train feature. You could be a cluster of trees or vines or whatnot. They will take three wounds, which do have armor and invul saves. If they have to walk through it, they will take D3 plus three wounds. Oh, that is so awesome. That would be... <laughs> I like your reaction to that. Um, So if they're actually walking through the foliage, it would be doing more damage, obviously. you know. But also the reason why I wouldn't just make it mortal wounds is because like a Terminator should be able to save it better than an Orc should. With an Orc has a 6-up save and a Terminator has a 2-up save. We should at least give them the benefit. If you're giving them mortal wounds, then it's really unfair to the Terminator player because he played ex paid extra points and didn't get any more effect than the Orc player did for his 6 points per model or whatever. So that's what I would do, but I definitely think it should be more dangerous to walk through the foliage than... I think so, too. I mean, it's carnivorous plants! That's right. So, that is exactly what I would do for the first part. What would be something else that comes to mind for you? Um, I would like there to be, um, heavy, heavy rain in this world. Like, monsoon rain. Okay. Uh, well, some of the easiest elements to do with that would be... Either a minus one to hit if you wanted to do that um, because of the driving rain. I prefer to just give everybody cover um, because of the pouring down rain. Also, I would like the rain to be a weather event, not just a static effect to the battlefield. So what I would do is like um, starting on turn two, it's a four up to see if the rain starts for the rest of the game. And then on turn three, it's a three up. It's something like that. And the I would give everybody cover once it starts raining, and I would also have all advance and charge rolls rounded up. And that would um, basically be like them slipping and sliding in the mud. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, I probably would also say that you only get cover if you're um, outside of 12 inches from the shooter, if you're being targeted. Because, I mean, if you're close enough, you could see them. So, um, is there anything else that you'd like to see on the battlefield? I would like there to be, like, high, literal, like, colonies of carnivorous bees just flying around <laughs> in the air. Okay. Um, carnivorous bees. Then, if they are flying, let's make this interesting for things with the fly keyword. Where let's say that um, their bees' nests are really high up in these jungle trees, like really high up. And they aren't really worried with ground targets so much. Let's say they're only worried about flying targets. So if you have any models at all that have the fly keyword, um, maybe they should roll some sort of difficult or dangerous terrain. Uh, I'm sorry, dangerous terrain when they fly. So any f flyers, any vehicles with fly, any um, infantry with fly. Anytime they move and they use their, you know, 12-inch movement or whatever, they should roll a dice for every model in the unit. On a one, they take a mortal wound. Oh, my. Yeah. And um, I think that would be very interesting, because I think flyers are often overlooked for um, uh, mission effects. So, um, is there anything else that you can think of? Uh, I would also like, um, like, it's dense foliage, so I'd like... If there's infiltrators, they could just hide in there and nobody could see them unless they were really close. Okay, so 
Um, you're saying it would basically be easier to sneak up on the enemy. Yeah. If you're okay, so hopefully you have a board that looks roughly like a jungle or at least thick woods or something of that nature. And let's say that any units that have an infiltrate type ability, like scouts for space marines or um, commandos for orcs, if they have any sort of ability that allows them to deploy outside of their normal deployment area, let's completely ignore the minimum distance to enemies. So basically, instead of the normally it's um you know more than nine inches away from an enemy when they set up, yeah, just make it more than uh you know it, there's no minimum. So then they can really sneak up to that enemy. So they could be within an inch of the... Well, not within an inch, but within six inches of the enemy. Yeah, yeah. inch you would, like, hear breathing and stuff. Yes. Or maybe on second thought, reduce it to, like, three inches or have it. um, Because potentially the uh, zero inches could get pretty, um, pretty overpowered. You could get a bunch of commandos or somebody in there. And do that. Um, you may also want to put a stipulation like uh, not in the enemy's deployment zone. Something like that. That would help balance it a little bit. Um, and also, if it's like an inch away from them, they would hear breathing and like rustling. <laughs> and also, how would you fit the plants in between them? Uh, true. But um, some things, you know, on a battlefield are a little, you know, it's not quite realistic. But... Uh, I think that's pretty good. We've run almost eight minutes on this topic, so we're going to get moving along. Thank you very much for joining me, Cron Jr. Uh, well, um, thank you for letting me on this podcast. <laughs> all right, toodles, everybody. I've used all the dating sites that are out there, and each one is exactly the same, full of players and losers who only want one thing. That's when I found out about joining Pimpcron on Patreon. With a simple monthly donation, I get all of the love and support from Pimpcron that I could possibly want. See you later, dating websites. I've got the patreon.com backslash Pimpcron. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Hello, everybody. Today, this is the section of the show that is called Real Talk with the Pimpcron. And I am joined today by my friend who Instagrams his food before and after he eats it, <laughs> Loremaster Alex. Hey guys, how you doing? All right, they're not going to answer you. This is a podcast. But anyway, um, I'm doing good. The other person in the room with you, I'm doing fine. Um, today our uh, topic is, does making up custom lore for your army add flavor to your games? So... We should probably start out with saying that for both of us... It's a yes. It's an absolute yes. We both are guilty of doing this. Oh, yeah. I think I'm more infamous. <laughs> well, you go into a lot more detail than I do. Yeah. Your, your background is fleshed out a lot more. Yeah. Um, I happen to have a lot more armies, though, so it kind of... And I, have, I usually type up your lore. And you do. So, <laughs> uh, you've even named my chapters before, so... Yeah. Um, let's... Thunder Knob Bane Bite. Let's start with um, just our general ideas of it. So I really think it helps me get into the game more. I'm Neither one of us are competitive gamers. Absolutely. And we're both narrative casual gamers. I would like to make one caveat. If it's the jerk in the group that we're playing against, of course we're going to get competitive. But yes. if it's just you mean him playing with each other, 
in a wargaming session, it's going to be less competitive. We're going to be having more fun with it. Yes, and you're famous for this, and we both like doing it, is, um, you know, playing a narrative game and adding story and context yeah. to our game. So not only are my army and your army fighting, but why are they fighting and where are they fighting? How'd they get there? What are they fighting over? How, you know, like, you know, the, the, the who's the what's, the where's and the why's. Yeah. And, you know, so many competitive players, especially, don't give that any thought. They throw their armies down. This is my army. I've made it to completely destroy you and, and destroy you and all of your dreams and everything you care about. Ah. <laughs> As he's chewing on a model, apparently. Yeah, as he picks, that... up, he picks up your HQ and takes a chomp out of it after he destroys it. Yeah, well, that is not us. So, to me, making your own backstory for your army uh, helps uh, give you a color scheme, helps you give, you know, kit-bashing opportunities, like your army is heavily kit-bashed. Oh, yeah. I mean, out the wazoo. Yeah, and even naming your chapter, if it's got a reason for it. So, even all of your kit-bashes for all your vehicles, there's a, a narrative reason for all of that. Yeah. So I definitely think that adds to the game, and I'll start with just giving it, an example. And it okay. also inspires. Not sorry, I'll I'll get you to the examples, but it also inspires you, in my mm -hmm. opinion, to like really put more care into making the models. Is that you have this idea of what you want it to be, the kit bashing, the paint scheme, and it just gets you more and more excited to get that model going. You know. But I digress, Scott. You were saying about examples. Um, so my first example, because I have more armies and examples than you do, is um, just a simple conversion. I did not ever really like the idea of Dark Eldar for whatever reason, but I suddenly wanted to make a vampire army. So of course, everyone, the very first thing people go is, oh, Blood Angels. But Blood Angels don't feel like vampires to me. Yeah, vampires and power armor don't make no sense. Not really. But, but once I got thinking about it, and I was thinking, well, you know what? I would love to do, like, a very small faction, mm -hmm. a race of vampires that have, like, warp technology or whatever. And then I got looking at Dark Eldar, and I'm like, oh, crap, they're melee. They have power from pain, which sounds a lot like a vampire, you know, the more they feed. Yeah, they, it fits. It kind of almost, they lined up very well. Yeah. For you to make your custom models and your backstory. And there's a ton of um, Age of Sigmar models that worked great for that. So, like, I use um, Crypt Horrors for my grotesques, and I use um, a Black Ark Corsairs as my um, homunculus and things like that. And, of course, where applicable, I give them the proper weaponry so you know what they've got. Right. But other than that, it's it's mostly, you know, um, vampire-looking, and I paint them real pale. Yeah. So I have a reason that they are, like, the first... Um, uh, scouting party for their race, basically. And this is the first time they're running into Space Marines or this or that, because they don't have... They're not some vast empire. It's know? like a planet somewhere yeah, in the galaxy. exactly. And they are almost always about, like, um, loot or um, scavenging technology or getting uh, victims, which is a very Dark Eldar thing. Yeah, you know, um, they, gotta, they gotta keep the blood bank open somehow. Yeah, so to me, um, that gives me a reason to fight with them. Right, and I think actually it's funny you mentioned that, you know, when we talk about creating kind of like a template for a battle. The last game we fought, the way we explained it was that your guys showed up to raid the planet, and you thought it would be an easy pickings, but unbeknownst to you, you didn't realize that one of my regiments of guardsmen uh -huh. were basically getting R&R &R on the planet. <laughs> so when you attacked, they like got their asses into gear to go and fight you. Yeah. And if you remember the first turn, I just whiffed most of my shots. Yeah. And eventually had to pour them all into your grotesque. So the joke was that my guys were still hung over. And this, these giant beasts attacked, which sobered them up really quickly. And that's why they <laughs> took the game eventually at the end of it. 
So what about your, um, give me an army that you have done custom background for? Well, I'll start with my dwarves first before I really go into my 40k factions. Mm -hmm. Because back when I played Warhammer Fantasy Battles, before it was Warhammer Fantasy Battles, it was just Warhammer. Mm -hmm. Um, I created a whole backstory for my dwarves. I actually looked at the map, and if you look on the old world maps, you'll see a river in the Badlands called the Blind River. Okay. And it leads right to a mountain. So my mountain uh, stronghold was called Karak Blind Peak. Okay. And it's a, a uh, citadel that is right on the end of the Blind River. Oh. And, you know, it's a very small community. We were founded by miners from uh, uh, Karak Eight Peaks. And then when um, we kept on mining deeper and deeper into a Gromoral vein, which actually was right next to the Underway. And anybody who knows their lore worth the salt knows that the Underway is just full of orcs and skaven uh-huh. and other horrors. So when we mined into the Underway, just hordes of orcs attacked our small little mountain facility. Mm-hmm. So the idea was that we basically abandoned it and I had to reclaim it. So that's what gave my army, like I used a lot of rangers and I had a lot of iron breakers in my army. And the reason why we were iron, a lot of iron breakers is because we had the Gromoral to forge the armor. Oh, okay. So that, that helped shape what your unit choices were too. Exactly. Okay. And even when I made my custom lord, he actually, uh, the story was the Blind Peaks emblem where like heirloom weapons are two pickaxes. Oh. And my father defended the front gate as we escaped with the other pickaxe. And I escaped with the other one. Okay. So my lord, he's actually a hammer that I modified into a dwarf lord. Uh-huh. And the hammer I cut off and replaced with a pickaxe handle. Nice. Or a pickaxe head, I should say. Excuse me. My second army I want to talk about is my notorious Pimpcron dynasty. And, you know... Is this Necron going to have to pimp slap a pariah? <laughs> <laughs> oh, pariahs. That's... Yeah. That's hits hard. That hits close to rip home. pariahs. Yeah, they're rip pariahs. I'm gonna pour a forty out for the prize that didn't make it. <laughs> forty for my homie. <laughs> yeah, um, a WD forty. Oh! Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, so before I had the idea of Pimpcron or anything like that, I was playing well before I started uh, podcasting. I mean, uh, uh, blogging. I had purple and gold Necrons, and I didn't have a backstory for them because that was my first army. So after the whole Pimpcron thing started and purple and gold and people were calling them the Pimpcrons, I decided, you know what, I'm going to make this into their lore. So you know how all the different dynasties have different personalities now, which of course they didn't used to, but they do now. So um, my Pimpcron model that I've physically made now, I'm making all of that his ceremonial garb from their previous, you know... So would you say your dynasty was a bunch of pimps before well, they turned into Necrons? Um, I like to think that my dynasty was a bunch of hedonistic, um, if Slanesh existed at that time, which so he, like which he didn't. just bought from Futurama to the 10th power. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> and we were like the frat dynasty, right? Like just hanging out, got women everywhere, right? Um, so Bitches for days. Yes. So, so not only are all of my people purple and gold, which is our royal colors for our dynasty. Which is a royal color in general. Well, actually, that's true. But uh, the cheetah print, too. Yeah. Uh, so, it really classes so, it up. Really <laughs> so, Pimpcron, literally my model, he's got a res orb on the top of a pimp cane that he's carrying. I love that. And he's got a war scythe, and I've, I green stuffed a pimp hat on him and painted it just like my photo for Bell of Lost Souls. And he's got a cape, and I even green stuffed him platform shoes. And all of that is his ceremonial garb, which is the last, like, remnants of their previous life as uh, Necrontier, I guess they were called. Yeah, Necrontier. Yeah. 
So um, that is interesting to me. And the whole uh, motivation behind my army is they're always kind of like Dark Eldar. They're always going after people to be slaves because they still have these... Um, uh, Carnal desires. Yes, they still have like, you know, sexy time needs, you know, even though they don't have any of the... So um, uh, give me another army of yours. Well, you know, Skipcron would know that uh, uh, one of my biggest factions that I like to play with were my Blood Angels. And uh, the faction that I wrote into it, kind of a bridge version of it, because Pimpcron's going to this look like, I swear to God, if you go over time on this, <laughs> I'm going to stab you. Uh, the long and veiny of it is that my chapter master was a clone of Lehman Russ before he went into the warp. And then I was sent away and was later found by Najal, the Stormcaller. And instead of retaking the, 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 um, the chapter, I just asked for a hundred wolves that would be willing to follow me. And a hundred wolves signed up. I went out to Tau space, kicked some Tau ass, rescued the Sable Swords, which in lore are a dying fact uh, chapter. Oh. Merged the chapters and reformed us into the Path Hunters. Nice. And declared full scale war against the Tau Empire. So you used Space Wolves? No, you didn't use Space Wolves rules, did you? No, I used the Blood Angels rules. And why and is the that? Re the reason why is because I um. Though I am a clone of Lehman Russ, I don't have all of his great qualities, but I do have all of his imperfections. Huh. So we suffer from berserk rage. And um, there's also a big schism within my chapter. I love that word. A schism. Schism. Yeah, yeah it's, it's my, my middle name. It's my favorite uh, favorite song from Tool. Oh. Um, you know, FYI. Uh, shout out to Tool fans. Um, you know, so... At a certain point, when we started to reclaim, uh, we claimed Furios back from the Tau Empire in my lore, and we set up our monastery on Furios 5, which is a feudal world. Uh, there was a big schism where a subsection of my chapter wanted to revert back to the Space Wolf ways. Uh -huh. And I was against that. And it ended up actually leading to open conflict within the chapter. And it eventually ended when I finally agreed and made some caveats and like made some secessions to, to the the cult is what we call them. I call them the cult of the wolf. Ah. So if you ever look at some of my older models, there's some guys that have like space wolf iconography and stuff hidden on their robes. Uh huh. And I painted up their robes to be the same color as space wolf colors. Okay. So it's like these guys, though they have the the gold, the the bronze and green, which is what I used for my colors. They have these Space Wolf gray cloaks. So what motivates them to fight each battle? Uh, well, that's the thing is they want to bring honor to this, you know, to this cult within the chapter. Mm -hmm. And their goals are to inevitably consume the chapter and bring it back to a wolf, like a Space Wolf style chapter. So you're saying that inside your chapter of Space Marines, there's actually a, at least two factions, kind of like Dark Eldar has witch cults and Cabalite Warriors and Homunculus Covens and all that, but they're working together temporarily until they can get big enough to overthrow the rest of us. In some ways, I mean, they still hold some loyalty to the chapter. Mm -hmm. It's just they disagree on different ideals. Uh, um, on top of that, like my death company are not actual death company. What the story is that they are members of the wolf cult who have just given in to the wolf to the, they call it the wolf. It's like this entity that, that, uh, propagates within my gene seed. Uh-huh. You know, some will fall to the, to the desire to be the wolf. So it makes them berserkers. Uh-huh. Um, they do maintain some sense of control, but they're easily angered even by their own brothers. So what the wolf wolf uh, the wolf cult will do is the ones in robes 
take care of the ones who have become berserkers. They'll seclude them in a separate section of the monastery. And when they go into battle, if these guys go full berserk and are unable to come back, uh -huh. it's the men in robes' jobs to put them down. So I like that you took basically the, the theme of the Blood Angels and the Death Company, but you made it your own. Yeah, I kind of like, put my own spin on it. Yeah, I like that. Let's get brutal. Um, so I hope we didn't bore you with all this talk of all of our, um, you know, our escapades with our lore and our nerdiness and all of that. But I would definitely suggest that you at least write a short paragraph, uh, three to five sentences of who your chapter or your army is, where they came from and why they fight. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, if you want to, let us know what you think about it. If you think it is useful or not to add lore to your army. Because, you know, we, we, we think we're right, but you might think we aren't. No, we're absolutely right. There's yeah. no there's no debating that. Um, a matter of fact, ignore everything Loremaster Alex just said. Only write me if you agree with me. That is all. Welcome back to Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron. And today I will be discussing the life cycle of brutality, my free rules, use your own models, RPG light skirmish war game that I have designed and lovingly crafted. So the life cycle of the ether realm. Um, so new victims are plucked out of their space and time, instantly finding themselves in Ishtar's realm and often bringing them uh, with them whatever they were holding or wearing. So sometimes even larger items such as vehicles are accidentally brought with the driver. Um, when a fresh batch of new victims is transported to this realm, they suddenly appear at what's called a Hag's End. The Hag's End is a henge, like a stone henge, of solid gold monoliths that appear in a random spot on the continent for only a moment, while it delivers the confused new inhabitants. Now, as Ishtar is gaining power, she's able to pluck more and more people at a time out of different um, universes. Originally, it was just one every couple hundred years or whatever, but now it's slowly snowballing and she's getting more and more energy as people live, die, and pray to her. It's called the Hag's End by the inhabitants as a derogatory term because um, it, it's as if she pulled, you know, the goddess pulled these people from her rear end. And, um, you know, she's the great whore of Babylon, so that's why they call her a hag. Um, when people die in this place, they instantly wake up where they last woke up from sleep with everything they had in their possession at the time of death. <clears throat> and in the condition that they were in when they previously woke. This is not time travel at all, just a teleportation of their body back to their last sleeping place. This is kind of a weird mechanic, and it breaks all laws of physics, but I find this very interesting when you start thinking about it. Everyone knows not to kill a thief until he drops your belongings because he will only reincarnate at his base with all the goods he just stole, because they were in his possession when he died. If your arm was severed before you died, you will wake with your arm intact, leaving a severed arm where you were just slain. So you realize that if anything is cut off your body, it still remains back, but you are reincarnated again with your arm. If, if you had your arm severed before you died, you'll wake up with your arm intact, leaving a severed arm behind where you were just slain. But if you lost your arm and survived the battle, and then slept before the next time you reincarnate, you will forever be lacking that arm, which I pretty much explained um, in, the, in the previous uh, episode of this. And um, as, as you could imagine, suicide is really rampant in this world as a means to not only heal yourself, but a fast means of travel. So get this, 
Messengers between locations will often be given a message, travel to the other location, deliver the message, receive a reply, and then kill themselves or be killed to instantly wake back up at their original location. So it's basically like weird instant messaging between towns and whatnot. There are no children in this place, and no one ages even a day after their arrival. Now, there's no children because Ishtar finds children completely useless, and they're not good at fighting, they're not good at dying, and they don't have the wherewithal to really pray truly. So children she never plucks um, from their dimensions. And um, no one ages. So if you think about that, while sex of all types is quite rampant, because she is the god goddess of fertility, for crying out loud, right? Sex is rampant everywhere. Children are never conceived due to the immortal elements of this dimension. In order for a child to form in the belly of a mother, they would have to be able to age, which of course does not happen here. So um, there's no need for birth control in the um, ether realm or in the land of Ishtar because they uh, can't grow. Um, but many people call Ishtar, quote, the great equalizer, because in this realm, amazing magical currents make all men equal in combat. Through some mysterious mechanism, or possibly just at her whim, the tiniest of insectoid warriors can wound and even kill giant rock trolls. It has been said that even the mightiest weapons have been seen glancing off the, soft, the softest of foes for seemingly no reason. So think of like a mortar shell hitting a uh, rabbit and the rabbit is like, all right, I'm going to die now and somehow doesn't die. Maybe that rabbit um, prayed in an altar. Who knows? Uh, many a person has awaited for certain death only to find, oh, I've been spared. Another interesting aspect of this place is the fact that all people hear speech in their native tongue. They hear it in their native tongue. So even so, it's basically like a universal translator in Star Trek. Um, everybody can communicate with everybody. The difference, though, is that written word is unaffected and has a long history of uncommon languages being used for messages to prevent interception from different, you know, rival factions and whatnot. And that is your little dose of the life cycle in the ether realm. Come on back next week and I'll tell you a bit more.